But the good thing is, is we're able to provide access to eye care in keeping with Canadian diabetes guidelines to populations that otherwise would have gone without any care at all. Welcome to ICAN, a podcast about ophthalmology through a uniquely Canadian lens with Dr. Mona Dagger and myself, Dr. Hadi Saheb. Bienvenue à ICAN, un balado sur l'ophtalmologie sous un angle typiquement canadien avec le Dr. Hadi Saheb et moi-même, Dr. Mona Dagger. Season 4 of the ICAN podcast is brought to you by Bayer Ophthalmology. We thank them for their support. Nous aimerions remercier Bayer Ophthalmology pour leur support de la quatrième saison du balado ICANN. We will share our experiences as ophthalmologists today and tackle some of the challenges we face as healthcare providers. Hey there, eye care enthusiasts. It's Mona and... Hattie, back at it again with ICANN. You know it, Hattie. Today's episode is going to be a real eye-opener. Pun intended. Mona, Mona, always with the puns. I promise, folks, today's discussion will be just as sharp as Mona's great wit. Hey, we're here to keep it both informative and entertaining, right? Absolutely. So whether you're a seasoned ophthalmologist or just as fascinated by eyes as we are, you're in for a treat. Hi, everyone. On today's episode of ICANN, our topic is age-related macular degeneration with guest Dr. Ravi Dukren of Winnipeg, Manitoba. Dr. Dukren has worked in Winnipeg since 2006 in the University of Manitoba Department of Ophthalmology. He is the medical director of the Waterfront Eye Institute and runs a surgical and medical retina practice serving all of Manitoba, Nunavut, and Western Ontario. After completing his ophthalmology residency at the University of Alberta, Dr. Dukren went on to complete a two-year surgical and medical retina fellowship at McGill University. He is affiliated now with the University of Manitoba's Department of Ophthalmology as an assistant professor teaching residents and retina fellows and is actively involved in clinical research, having authored numerous publications. Dr. Dukran has been actively involved in developing a tele-ophthalmology program and serves as the medical director of the Manitoba Retinal Screening and Vision Program, providing access to care for diabetic patients in northern and remote communities across Manitoba. In addition to being vice president of the Eye Physicians and Surgeons of Manitoba for many years, he sat on the COS Board of Directors as treasurer from 2019 to 2022 and continues to be involved in the COS Foundation. Ravi, Welcome to ICANN. Today, we're going to talk all things AMD, so let's go ahead and jump right in. So, Ravi, AMD is, you know, one of the most common and important causes of, uh, of blindness, unfortunately. And so, I'm curious to know what, you're, um, what you find to be the most challenging aspect of uh, treating AMD. Thanks, Daddy and Mona. Um, thank you for the invitation to uh, visit with you on today's podcast. Um, well, AMD is still the leading cause of irreversible blindness in patients 55 years and older. Um, it, treatments have come a really long way in the past 20 years since the PDT era with the introduction of anti-VEGF agents. While these have completely changed the field for um, AMD management and outcomes for patients, uh, long-term studies uh, demonstrate that many patients still end up uh, declining in vision over five years to return to um, presenting baseline. 
And that's due to the progression of the atrophic component of the disease and sometimes with macular fibrosis. The upside is that for these patients, uh, you actually help slow down their visual decline and given them some time that they wouldn't have otherwise had. One of the other big challenges, um, besides the inevitability of aging, is that um, many of us in Canada face the same problem. We have a growing aging population, and AMD requires lifelong treatment. Even with treatment tapering or treat and extend uh, protocols, only roughly half of the patients get to stability levels where they uh, only have to be treated every four months. Many still need Q1 to two monthly injections or quarterly injections, and that's just AMD patients. Add in the diabetic patients, the patients with retinal vein occlusion, and the other various diseases that need to be treated with um, anti-VEGF. So the clinics have become extremely full with frequent regular follow-up patients requiring ongoing care uh, workups, including diagnostic testing and examinations. And um, these are not patients that came to the clinic routinely prior to anti-VEGF agents. Canada, and specifically Manitoba, has a large patient-to-treating ophthalmologist ratio. We're actually the uh, lowest retina specialist to um, patient uh, population ratio in Canada at the moment. Um, We continue to train residents and fellows, but the demand outpaces the human resources available. So I think trying to manage the uh, fairly lengthy, uh, sorry, fairly extensive patient load is something that is only going to uh, become increasingly challenging as we move forward. Ravi, it's not just the expanding um, population, but you also seem to be in the forefront of leading treatments for patients who are up north. And really, Manitoba is uh, very well recognized as a leader and treating remote areas. Can you tell us more about this? Uh, Thank you for that, Mona. It's um, definitely uh, something that Manitoba has a fair amount of experience uh, with. I'm not sure how much of a leader we are, but we certainly are a province where the only major city is Winnipeg, and we're located 45 minutes from the Canada-US border. Um, Outside of Winnipeg, There's one ophthalmologist in Brandon, which is two hours west, and the rest of the ophthalmologists are located in the city centre. So uh, we still have a fairly large uh, area to cover um, in northern Manitoba as well as Nunavut and uh, into western Ontario. So our department has a long history of community outreach, and we've basically hire people with the expectation or understanding that people will do uh, fly-in outreach clinics to areas such as Norway House or Nunavut. And our residents actually get experience going to these communities with um, staff people as well. Um, It certainly is uh, providing care to areas that are underserviced. And the uh, the challenge with that, as we all know, is you can't be everywhere at once. So while you go up north to serve these um, communities, there is a sacrifice to be made for the patients that you're not seeing when you're here in the city. Um, So when I was a retina fellow in Montreal, 
uh, Matt Tennant, who's a retina specialist in Alberta, um, he actually approached me uh, with a teleophthalmology program. And he said, would you be interested? I think Manitoba is a really good fit. And I said, of course. And I looked at the system and it essentially used ETDRS guidelines to take uh, seven field fundus photography using a special 3D uh, technology. And it allowed us to provide one of the most robust virtual eye exams um, that we could then log into a computer and review these diabetic patients um, and see which patients had enough severity that they needed to be flown down for treatment. Um, this initiative was for diabetes rather than uh, macular degeneration and continues to be because we have a large indigenous population with a high prevalence of uh, diabetic retinopathy um, over AMD in our northern communities. The um, ability to provide care to these patients uh, was really satisfying. And I was sitting in my little apartment in Montreal um, during my off time from clinic and surgery as a fellow. And then I would uh, take the patients who needed to be flown down to Winnipeg and, and talk to my colleagues who were practicing here and, um, and ask them if they would take the referrals. And they did. So this program became quite effective. It uh, tripled in size when I moved back to the city and we expanded the area that um, the stations uh, were set up in to um, include the Thompson area and the PAW, as well as the, the fly-in program into the Island Lakes region. Um, I'm pretty happy with how it is. There's still room for more expansion um, within city centres as well as east and west. On top of that, we still do uh, outreach clinics for anti-VEGF um, injections. We were going to Brandon for the longest time, just up until this year. Um, and uh, we still fly into Dauphin, as well as uh, do drive-ins drive, drive -ins, uh, to Kenora region for outreach uh, clinics as well. So there's um, all sorts of different means of trying to spread ourselves out uh, across a fairly large uh, geographic area. But the good thing is, is we're able to provide access to eye care in keeping with Canadian diabetes guidelines to populations that otherwise would have gone without any care at all. It's incredible that you can do all that and still have a busy practice in the city. It's just really wonderful. It certainly is challenging, <laughs> but satisfying. What caught, what caught my interest in what you said is that we were able to develop this impressive program during your quote-unquote off time as a retina fellow at McGill. Being at McGill, I know how busy those retina fellows work, so I'm just amazed that you're able to do anything productive uh, on, on your off time as a retina fellow. So uh, you'll one day you'll have to tell me how you found, how you blocked off time for retina fellowship, which, is, which can be so uh, all-consuming. So kudos to you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, you know, we read your bio earlier, and it's clear that you uh, work, you know, spend some time with working with the Manitoba government. And I'm wondering why, you know, a busy clinician and surgeon like you is um, feeling the need to work with the Manitoba government uh, to help with access to treatments and, and technologies for your patients. So can you tell us a little bit more about why you decided to spend time working with the Manitoba government and what some of the challenges and opportunities are uh, that come with uh, with this work with the government. Um, well, I, I think if you're if you're around long enough, you um, inevitably learn that if you want to see change happen, you just have to 
take the steering wheel. And I was um, the vice president for uh, the Eye Physicians and Surgeons Association of Manitoba for some years um, and was on the board prior to that for many years. And I vowed actually when I started practice that I really wouldn't get politically involved and that fell flat pretty quickly for the reasons I just mentioned. Um, It was such a good experience working on Epsom. Uh, It taught me a lot about uh, healthcare on a bureaucratic level. And the advocacy work for continually trying to raise the standards of patient care, as you're both well aware, is a a never-ending task. So learning how to create these relationships with MLAs, MPs, and Um, hospital management is really not a skill that we learn in our medical training. And it's vital. So if we want to actually be patient advocates, um, learning those skills to effect change becomes something that we just have to do. And um, I thought it was actually really useful to start learning more about understanding the other point of view and the fiscal constraints that plague our healthcare system. And this is not unique to to Manitoba. It's across all of Canada. And we have to be responsible stewards of long-term sustainability of our healthcare system while ensuring that uh, patient outcomes aren't compromised. And that was a really important learning point for me. Um, The challenges of relaying these patient outcomes uh, to those in charge of budgets who didn't always fully grasp the consequences of their decisions and were somewhat myopic was really difficult at times. And um, I think that learning to navigate some of these challenges, um, I mean, I would say it definitely is a different type of education um, that I've grown to appreciate and continue to learn from and grow into. Um, There's, you know, I think that at the end of the day, the more we can learn to work with partners, and they they should be partners as opposed to adversaries, um, the better we're going to do for society. Totally agree with that, Ravi. And I hear from so many colleagues, and even feel like that sometimes myself. That I, I you know, um, we're not equipped to know how to start with some of these challenges. And so, what kind of advice would you give to other ophthalmologists that that feel like they? They should be more involved or there's opportunities to impact change, but they don't know how to start. What kind of advice would you give uh, these colleagues uh, with regards to working with their governments? Um, One of the first things I would say is there's power in numbers. So we have numerous societies and organizations um, on a national level, the COS um, and the various subspecialty societies that we have. And many of our provinces have organized um, advocacy groups like EPSA, EPSM, EPSO. (laughs) So we've got groups to be involved with. And it's easy to think that you're an island. But if you're um, I was I was so pleasantly surprised uh, after running up against a few brick walls that uh, I could actually go to an advocacy group and, you know, working on the COS board, we were called upon to do this. And, um, and brainstorm to see how we might help somebody achieve a particular goal. And the collective support uh, really does add weight to the um, message that you're trying to get heard. And so recognizing that you don't have to try to do it alone is really important for being heard. And the other piece of advice I would say is be uh, resilient and persistent because 
you'll run up against brick walls, but you do have to just step back, look at it at a different angle, um, and perhaps ensure that you're not really looking at it from your own angle, but that you have a team of people um, because other people bring perspectives that you may not have initially seen and, um, and they might find solutions to problems that you didn't really think of. The work is ongoing. It's admittedly uh, tiring and it's, uh, it's satisfying, but um, you have to be able to rely on the people around you so that you don't completely deplete your reserves. So, Work as a team and recognize that there are many groups around you that have resources and uh, both financial as well as um, mental resources to help you achieve these goals. I think this is a good time to uh, make a shout out to the COS um, Advocacy Council, which, you know, that council is doing great work and always looking for volunteers um, to, to join the committee or even just to share ideas. Uh, so uh, thanks for thanks for mentioning the advocacy council, and I and I certainly commend them for the work that they do. I agree a hundred percent. I can wants to know what you think. Please send your comments on today's episode or any suggestions you may have for topics or features to communications at cos-seo.ca, and we will try to incorporate them into future episodes. Hi, I'm Marie-Claude Robert, and I listen to the ICANN podcast. So Ravi, you studied in Alberta, you did fellowship in Montreal, in Quebec, and now you work in Manitoba. What do you say are the particular challenges or the specific challenges to working in Manitoba? It's so challenging because you. I would say that um, working on the COS actually gave me a a better bird's eye view of uh, ophthalmology in Canada. And I was extremely grateful for the time I spent with you all there. Um, Wonderful people, hugely educational. And that's my shout out to all of you. and I'm not sure that it's 100% unique to Manitoba, but um, we are one of the uh, less well-off provinces as far as financial resources goes. And I mean, after doing a residency in Alberta, it it almost is like two complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, so approval for new therapies often uh, come late to this province compared to other centers in Canada. One of the big challenges is uh, we are even though we're sort of central in the country, we are somewhat isolated. Winnipeg's got this reputation for freezing cold winters, even though it was seven degrees and there's no snow on the ground at the moment. Um, And recruitment has been challenging. It's been great um, watching our residency program get resurrected. And as a result, we've actually uh, been more organized as an academic faculty. And we've been training fellows in uh, retina, glaucoma, and pediatric ophthalmology. And many of these fellows have actually stayed on as staff. So, you know, it's been great for uh, recruiting uh, more staff. But Whenever you make some gains, you have some losses, and uh, and we've hit a critical period in our um, ophthalmology department where some 
uh, key players have finally said, okay, well, I guess it's time for me to step back. I'm retiring. And so we're actively recruiting, um, maintaining your human resources numbers um, as the uh, the group gets older and uh, decides to spend a little bit less time clinically and surgically um, is certainly something that uh, is challenging. And, you know, it's a, it's a different environment that a lot of people simply are not familiar with. So the other shout out I'll give is uh, to Manitoba. It's beautiful. And I encourage people to come and check us out. And perhaps one day uh, we will fulfill that uh, wish list of hosting the COS in uh, beautiful Winnipeg summer. I hope so too. It would be fun. How many residents are in your program? We started off with one per year and uh, we moved to two per year, uh, every other year. And uh, this year we uh, we actually did two f- per year consecutively. Um, yeah, it sort of depends on the uh, the funding of the PGME and med school. So <laughs> yeah, but we're hoping to just continue on with uh, two per year. It's a really nice compliment and we have a great group. And being on Epsom, do you know how many ophthalmologists are in Manitoba? Uh, we're, I think we're at about 26 or 27, oh. yeah. And the, the catchment area is, uh, well, out to Thunder Bay, it's somewhere around uh, 2 million. Wow. So, yeah, we need some more. Yeah. <laughs> Those numbers are drastic, right, Mona, compared to our multiple hundred ophthalmologists here in Quebec, right? So that's, yeah. uh, you're working hard, Ravi, working hard. It's, it's, everybody is busy. So if you want to be busy and, uh, and, and work hard, <laughs> come on by. Yeah. 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 That's impressive. Ravi, you mentioned earlier that, you know, retina care has changed uh, and evolved quite a bit over the last uh, couple of decades. And I wonder if you can share with us some of your, you know, whether it's your favorite or just the the innovations and advancements that you feel are are most important uh, or on the horizon uh, that will change the way AMD is is managed uh, here in Canada. Um, Well, it's interesting because there, there's so many agents, um, for treating AMD coming down the pipeline and you go to these meetings and, and they'll actually give you a little summary of what's going on, what stage of their, what phase of the trial it's at. And, and there, there are literally dozens. Um, So we'll see which come to fruition as effective clinically significant therapies for patients. Um, And it has been fairly stable or, or sort of even for the last 10 years uh, with little movement in the anti-VEGF arena. Um, but we are seeing some exciting results with uh, the latest agent to come to uh, approval in Canada, Farisimab. And it's not currently on formulary in Manitoba, but it is available. Um, I do hope it gets on formulary soon. It's a, it's a nice alternative to uh, some of our current treatment agents. And it's nice to have another uh, weapon in the tool chest in terms of treating recalcitrant uh, cases of wet AMD or diabetic macular edema, for which it's, uh, those are the two indications for which it's approved at the moment. And if somebody is just resistant to treatment, it's nice to have something else to try. So the more options we have for patients, the better equipped we are to provide them with the best outcomes possible. There's another agent coming to approval at some point, hopefully in the next year, 
And it's a potential game changer. It's called Pexita Copeland. I'm not sure if you've heard of it outside of retina circles. Um, it's an injectable medication that works to inhibit the complement pathway. And it's um, shown evidence of slowing the progression of geographic atrophy. So this is um, the first agent that's been used to address progression of dry AMD really since the age-related eye disease study or ARIDS-2 studies. It is, as I said, it's not yet approved, but it uh, is approved in the States and our American neighbors have been using it. And I think there's well over 120,000 injections given. So we'll see by the time it comes to Canada, hopefully we've got some really good real world evidence um, from which to uh, draw on and see how it's going to best affect um, or impact our patients positively. It's certainly going to turn the logistics of managing our patient volumes in the retina clinics on its head. And truthfully, I'm trying hard not to think about it too much because it gets a little overwhelming, but it's coming. So stay tuned. Like you needed more work. Yeah, we we just need about triple the number of retina specialists. (laughs) Do you have any idea when that will be available? No, I did discuss it with them, and it's they're saying the last half of next year. Yeah, I I appreciate the the impact on your practices as a non retina specialist. Though it's it's so exciting to feel like there's something that I can you know offer uh, for geographic geographic atrophy patients, which otherwise you know you kind of given the the, the sad shrug of the shoulders and say, you know, that there's nothing currently available to, uh, to, to change their, uh, change the outcomes. So, so this is, this is exciting. You know, we do have some patient listeners, uh, and I'm wondering what you say to your patients with AMD that ask you about any lifestyle changes, nutritional changes. Um, do you offer them any, uh, any advice? Currently? I always talk to them about lifestyle, uh, choices, um, modifiable risk factors. If somebody is a smoker, I always have a discussion with them about it. I, I try to impress upon them the impact smoking has on the um, severity of macular degeneration. I always talk to my diabetics about it. I mean, there's really no upside to smoking. Um, so that's always a discussion. We always uh, review sort of the importance of wearing proper UVA, UVB blocking sunglasses. And then nutritionally, um, you know, vitamins are great. And the Aaron's vitamins have proven um, some degree of slowdown in uh, moderate or intermediate to severe um, dry AMD. But I talk to them about the dietary changes, and they do want to know about that. So we talk about uh, foods that contain lutein, the um, high antioxidant foods, foods that are, uh, I always describe the plates as go for the colorful plates, not the beige plates. Those are the ones that... Um, provide you with the best nutrient value. Um, have some fish a couple times a week. Omega-3 has not yet really proven itself as a supplement um, for AMD that's effective, but there's uh, no harm. And really there's so many other health benefits of consuming heart healthy um, fats. And there's a, you know, it hasn't fallen out of favor to, to say have fish a couple times a week. So yeah, colorful plates, fish a couple times a week, stop smoking and wear your UV blocking sunglasses. So Ravi, I think you're going to support my, my young children's choice of rainbow ice cream. Is that, does that fit on does that qualify as a colorful plate? That's good for your, your health and your eyes. I'm sure it's delicious. <laughs> 
Um, another serious question. Is there any discussion about hereditary? Do you discuss um, predisposition to AMD with your patients? We do review it. Um, I think that there's uh, there's clearly evidence that there is a hereditary component to macular degeneration. Um, I think what we know now, and especially in the last 25 years, may have some impact in terms of the genetic expression of somebody's uh, AMD, whether they, you know, the the children who are now in their 50s and 60s of the parents. Um, lifestyle choices are just very different. And the education around nutrition and antioxidant-rich foods is really different. Um, in fact, that only came about um, through some research out of Boston um, back in, I think, 2003. So, a lot of this discussion that we all sort of take for granted as common knowledge really wasn't common knowledge uh, not that long ago. So while I discuss the gen genetics of it, I do remind patients that genetics aren't really written in stone. And just because your uh, parents may have lost vision because of it, there were certain lifestyle choices that simply weren't uh, well understood in how they impact our vision, especially when it comes to macular degeneration. Finally, Ravi, we like to always ask our guests when we finish an episode of their outside activities, outside your day-to-day -day professional life. How do you spend your time? What books are you reading? Do you listen to any podcasts? Do you travel? Any outdoor activities in cold Manitoba? Tell us more about you. Well, um, I definitely enjoy being outdoors and um it's a, it's almost a bit of a cliche to be a retina specialist who cycles to work, but I do enjoy cycling and I, um, I will bike to work, uh, as long as the weather will permit. And, um, I'm a prairie guy. So being on the flatlands, I definitely have a love for cross country skiing, which is an amazing way to get out and enjoy winter and, and not be cooped up by it. So, um, being outside cross country skiing is actually one of the, one of my happy places. Um, I, uh, I'll i never say no to um, adventure travel, if possible, if, if the opportunity presents itself. And I've been fortunate enough to um, take some pretty fun and amazing trips um, from hiking the West Coast Trail and completely disconnecting from the world along uh, the West Coast of Vancouver Island to uh, sailing and kayaking through the islands of Croatia, to looking after elephants in Africa at an elephant sanctuary. So I um, I do enjoy travel and I wonder whether or not that was just inborn in me through my parents who immigrated from Trinidad and came to uh, Winnipeg from the islands and started a life here. Um, the last thing I would probably mention, which is completely not adventurous, but I, I love it and I um, could bore you with an entire other podcast, is my love and, and slight obsession with gardening. And I don't really like gardening things that look or smell pretty. I just like gardening things that taste delicious. So I uh, I have a vegetable garden in the summer and I it's it's one of my most relaxing places to be and I thoroughly enjoy it and it satisfies my scientific nerd brain and it also satisfies my um, food loving amateur chef brain because I love turning what I've grown into 
really wonderful meals. And um, I'll leave it at uh, homegrown lettuce is very exciting. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you. Ravi, that was a great discussion on an important topic. Uh, I certainly uh, learned, a lot, learned a lot and really enjoyed it. And I hope our listeners did as well. So thanks for spending the time with us uh, today. And uh, I look forward to uh, the exciting future in AMD. Thank you for having me. ICANN wants to know what you think. Please send your comments on today's episode or any suggestions you may have for topics or features to communications at cos-seo.ca. And we will try to incorporate them into future episodes. Season 4 of the ICANN podcast is brought to you by Bayer Ophthalmology. We thank them for their support. Nous aimerions remercier Bayer Ophthalmology pour leur support de la quatrième saison du balado ICANN. Thank you from the Canadian Ophthalmological Society. ICANN is written and directed by Kim Teitler and produced by John Allaire from Allaire Strategic Works. ICANN is available on Apple, Spotify, and Google platforms. And of course, through the COS Practice Resource Center. Some episodes this season will include relevant links and show notes, so be sure to check episode descriptions to learn more. Thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to bringing you more episodes. 